It's all Missouri all the time on this edition of the podcast. Governor Mike Parson, Nicole Galloway, his challenger for the governorship, a special session, even college football. It's all on the plate today on Deep Background. Well, greetings. You're on Deep Background for July 14th. 2020. We're trying to, I think, move the podcast to Tuesdays uh, for the duration because it just makes a little more sense in a dozen different ways. So if you're, if you think we're going a bit early, we are, and and uh, you know, happy to do so. Uh, joining me today for today's podcast, Derek Donovan, my colleague and friend, is co-host, and then Jason Hancock, journalist extraordinaire from Central Missouri, who covers politics for the Star. Jason, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great, great to have you on and uh, to talk about some Missouri politics today for a little bit. Now, so uh, Mike Parson has had, the governor, has had an interesting couple of weeks, hasn't he? I mean, let's start there. Uh, he's getting grief for not wearing a mask to a big steak fry. Uh, he apparently got savaged last night by his predecessor, Eric Greitens, on uh, Fox News. A new poll comes out, Jason, that suggests he's closer to Nicole Galloway than maybe he would want or expected to be. What? What? And then, of course, COVID, which continues to be a, a massive challenge in the state. Give us the status, if you will, of uh, Mike Parson as we head into the fall election season. Well, he came into 2020, and his his campaign pitch was supposed to be the economy's really good. Um, I kind of steered us through the chaos of the great years, right? He took over for a pretty terrible time in the state of our politics. And he kind of was, he wanted to pitch himself as the steady hand that got us through that. And that he kind of has these kitchen table issues that he's the, the champion, things like workforce development, things like building roads and bridges, you know, not necessarily partisan or controversial ideas. That's what he was hoping to talk about. Uh, then COVID happened. Then the economy went south, obviously. And you're right, the last couple of weeks have been sort of hit after hit that he's had to endure, whether it be these poll numbers that seem to show the state's a lot closer than he would have liked. And I do get a little bit of credence to the, this particular poll. It kind of matches what we're hearing on the ground and what we're kind of hearing behind the scenes that the governor is taking this race a lot more seriously than maybe he thought he was going to have to in January or February. And then, you know, over the weekend after weeks of he's always been sort of back and forth on masks this idea if you want to wear a mask wear a mask if you don't don't but his entire covid response was about personal responsibility it was about how as an individual you kind of have to do certain things whether that's social distance wash your hands wear a mask if you can't social distance that's been his pitch and then he's tweeting out images of him shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people who are older so they're at an at-risk group and also nobody wearing a mask. And he was just piled on by the Democrats calling him just a hypocrite. I say as I do as I say, not as I do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm certain that that's an issue that's going to continue to dog him, especially when his Republican counterparts in other states have come around to the idea of, please, just the very least you can do is wear a mask in public. It's pretty, so, obvi yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious to me anyway that Parson, when COVID first broke, was walking a, an extraordinarily difficult fine line 
between his sort of rural base, if you will, uh, Jason, and the demands obviously in St. Louis and Kansas City and Springfield where COVID was a greater concern. Uh, you know, be, being in the middle of the road is always a difficult thing, but increasingly it seems as if uh, that's not working for Mike Parson. Uh, that 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 you know the the I think behind the polling uh, drop is the idea that he has in some ways mishandled the COVID crisis. Do you think that's right? I think that's probably fair. You know, when he went into this, his name recognition was abysmal. Like for a sitting governor, because obviously he didn't run for governor. He he became governor when Eric Greitens resigned. So few people really knew who he was, and that was going to be a big challenge for him. And over the last couple months, they've they do know him now. He's been doing, he did daily press conferences for a long time and you've seen his numbers drop. Like as his name ID has gone up, his approval rating has gone down. And I mean, obviously maybe the economy factors into that. There's a lot of different factors. The president, you know, he's kind of attached himself to the president in a lot of ways, but the big thing that's happened over the last few months is COVID. That's where people seem to know him best. And if his numbers are dropping, one can probably glean that that's a pretty big factor in that. In that and, and, he, and he seems, you're there, so you have a better sense of this than I do, but he seems very uh, cranky about all of this. I mean, he snippets at reporters. I mean, it, you know, I think one of the things about Mike Parson that I think we all believed, uh, you know, 18 months ago was that he was kind of a jovial, genial guy. He wasn't Eric Greitens. He wasn't, you know, looking to pick fights with people. Uh, he would go along to get along the master of the legislative process. We were told from his time in the legislature. And yet in the last, I'd say two or three months, maybe you have a different impression of it. He seems much more frustrated, uh, with criticism and with his inability to get his hands around this problem. No, that's definitely true. I mean, there's always been a knock on him. If you talk to, you know, former staff, there was a guy that spoke up during the lieutenant governor's campaign that he's a guy that has a bit of a temper. He's a guy that's not the easiest to work for, but his public image was always sort of this grandfatherly sheriff guy, you know, the slap on the back politician. And he has felt uh, a little bristly the past couple months. As, you know, there was, a, there was a good long run where the press wasn't allowed to actually go to his press conferences. And once we were invited back, it did seem like there was a lot more confrontational uh, interactions. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of frustration on his half of, on his side of it about how all of this is playing out, because I do genuinely believe he thinks that he is steering the proper course for Missouri. And the fact that he's getting hammered for a lot of his decisions are probably frustrating. I think that it's going to be a very stark choice for voters. Nicole Galloway could not be more different in her approach to everything. I mean, you know, bookish, uh, if you look at her releases as state auditor, you know, she is all about process. She is all about good government. And it seems to me like that is a real chance uh, for her campaign to draw a distinction. And to say, we're not going to shut the press out. We are not going to try to circle the wagons that we are, we are going to try to do good government in, in the right way. No, I think that's, I mean, you never know what she's going to be like. She's never really faced a lot of critical coverage herself, you know, when she ran. Correct. She was that's very correct. And she was appointed auditor when the, the previous uh, occupant of the office died. And she ran a re-election campaign against a very damaged Republican opponent. Yeah. That yes. didn't, so neither one got a ton of scrutiny. 
So, I mean, if you ask me today, I mean, I don't think she's really been covered all that uh, thoroughly. So we'll see what she's like when that happens, because it's inevitable. But I think you're right in that she wants to make the 2020 campaign very much about competence and corruption, like that the, the administration has been incompetent in how it's handled some of these crises. And uh, the idea that it's sort of like that Eric Greitens 2016 campaign of Parson is an insider crony politician. That's 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 where she's sort of framing the 2020 debate around. And if that's the ground that we're fighting on, I think Parson's right to be worried. Yeah. Um, but but uh, earlier, Jason, you said that a lot of people didn't even recognize Mike Parson's name. That's really true of Nicole Galloway, too, isn't it? I mean, it, it, the campaign is, it hasn't really been joined in any meaningful way, has it? Yeah, COVID was, is partially responsible for that. You're not seeing the big rallies and campaign events. I'm sure theoretically that'll change as we go into the fall, but we really don't know what sort of campaign is going to be able to play out in, an, in the era of covid but yeah, no one really knows her as well when she ran and won in 18. That's a down ballot state auditor race is usually pretty low key. And it's even more so when the Republican candidate is as damaged as she was running against. But she barely um, won. Galloway barely won that race. Yeah. And then it was a while where it was really looking like that Sandra McDowell had a chance, um, even though she raised no money, was just pilloried for her lack of resume and sort of dishonest uh, approach to the campaign. But yeah, yeah. so we, we just don't know. But I think if the race is Parson versus this undefined Democrat, then Parson could be in trouble depending on the climate that we're, we enter into in the fall, how bad COVID is, how bad Trump is doing. You know, if it turns into a wave election, which maybe it could, that spells trouble for every Republican, including Mike Parson. And also, Eric Greitens weighing back into it. I mean, I just think that's one of the most bewildering things that, well, not bewildering knowing Greitens' character, but just the the potential that that has for muddying the waters. You know, if you get Tucker Carlson and his ilk on the anti-Parson bandwagon, that that's a complicating factor that might be insurmountable. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, to take a step back, I mean, if you were a betting man today, I'd still think you would put the money on Mike Parson. He's got a lot more money. It's still a Republican-leaning state. He is not as easy to demonize as a Donald Trump would be or an Eric Greitens before him. Um, I think he does have a lot of built-in advantages, but what he's going to need, especially if the political climate turns sour for Republicans, is that outstate vote to come big for him. And to Derek's point, if Eric Greitens is out there trying to poison the well through November, if there's a segment, even if it's a small segment of, uh, of those outstate voters or who are remaining loyal to Greitens and are completely soured on Mike Parson, that could really hurt him if Galloway runs up big margins in the cities and manages to carry the burbs. Um, and that's what she's got to do to win. We'll take a break in just a minute, but let me just follow up quickly if I could, Derek. What is Greitens up to? That's right. His, his end game is just fascinating to me. Well, what's going on, Jason? Do you have any insight there at all? I mean, it's definitely a rehabilitation tour. Um, Why? What's he rehabilitating for? (laughs) I mean, I don't think anybody in Missouri politics expects Greitens not to run for something someday. A lot of us were pretty surprised he didn't take the chance to run for governor this year. What is his end game? Whether it's run for governor in four years or there's an open Senate, or not an open Senate seat, but he could primary a Roy Blunt or Josh Hawley or... Maybe when Josh Hawley runs for president, we, we he slides right into that spot. I mean, it's difficult to say like where he ends up because I don't think he would ever want to run for Congress. And there's just a lot of people 
in the Republican Party that are young and ambitious, like, you know, Jay Ashcroft, Eric, Eric Schmidt, Eric Scott Schmidt. Patrick, everybody's like mid 40s and below and has thinks they're going to be their governor or president one day. I don't know where he fits into that scrum, but he seems to have a loyal following and has proven he could raise money, even though it'd be coming from outside Missouri. So yeah, it's a, who really it's, knows? Yeah, it's a little like Kansas 10 years ago, you know, when you had Hewell's camp and Kevin Yoder and Mike Pompeo down in Wichita, where all these young Republicans were on a collision course. Of course, that all fell apart because of circumstances and history. But you can see the collision coming in Missouri, can't you? With Schmidt, with Ashcroft, you know, with with Greitens, with uh, Josh Hawley, certainly. I mean, it it. It, uh, it the, the traffic jam at the top is going to get pretty profound. Yeah, especially if Blunt doesn't retire, you know, which there's no indication he's really desperate to get out of Washington. Um, that's if he's got that spot, then yeah, maybe you have Greitens versus Hawley in four years, or a big, huge, robust Republican primary for governor. Who knows? But um, yeah. yeah, we'll have to see. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the special session. Uh, we're with Jason Hancock, uh, the Kansas City Star, Derek Donovan, and Dave Helling. You are on Deep Background. Stay with us. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to kansascity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. We're back now with Jason Hancock, the Star's political reporter, Derek Donovan and Dave Helling of the Star's editorial board uh, on Deep Background. Jason, again, thanks so much for being with us. Well, we just talked about the political uh, atmosphere surrounding uh, Mike Parson. Um, Some of that is going to get more complicated in the next couple of weeks, right? If they do a special session, I think he said uh, that that he definitely wants the legislature to come back. But do we know the timing and do we know what will be in the call, which is what it's all about? So uh, from all the intelligence I've picked up, it looks like the last week of July, they're hoping to come back. There was some consternation because there's a lot of, especially in the House, folks who are running in primaries. And this is yeah. the week before the primary. And a lot of them don't want to spend it in Jeff City. Uh, but that's the plan at the moment, at least, to come back that last week of July. And it's going to be completely focused on crime. Uh, two ideas specifically, the Witness Protection Fund, which is a big a priority for Mayor Lucas, and also a bill that would let the attorney general have uh, concurrent jurisdiction on a lot of these uh, more violent crimes. So basically could swoop into jurisdictions like Kansas City or St. Louis if they don't believe the prosecutor is uh, doing the job that they would like. Yeah, uh, that, also- that, that's aimed at St. Louis, isn't it? Because Eric Schmidt is in... in um- uh, uh, in the middle of a war with the uh, uh, Kim Gardner over and the prosecutor in St. Louis. No, I think, yeah, definitely the, the aim is St. Louis, but I'm not sure there's a way to write it that would be specific to St. Louis. And so I think that's where you see a lot of pushback 
from local prosecutors all over the state because the last thing you want if you're the Cape County prosecutor is to have a you know a liberal Democratic attorney general deciding they could weigh in on all your cases and have the jurisdiction. So I, that one's going to be a tough one. I don't. I mean, obviously, if Republicans get on the same page, they can do what they want. Um, there's also talk of of residency requirement for St. Louis officers. That was something that was debated a lot during session. It kind of got mucked up and slowed down because there was a contingent that wanted to include the Kansas City police right. in that. And that they were in, they were out. They were yeah, they were in, they were out. They were in, they were out. Um, and they were and pushing it, pretty hard on that. And if they get in, that's going to make it run into a lot of trouble. The, the, the complicating factor is if you, as we sit here today, there is no Senate delegation for Kansas City. So if we do start to debate these issues of, you know, uh, police residency, it's going to be, you know, J.J. Rizzo, who has a bit of Kansas City in his district, but lives out in Independence, and Lauren Arthur, who's got the, you know, north of the okay. river Clay yeah. County side, but nobody who is a Kansas City uh, the lion's share of Kansas City isn't going to be represented in the Senate if these issues come up. But that those are sort of the three things that I've heard. There won't be any discussion of guns. The governor's not going to include that. There won't be any discussion of police tactics like chokehold bans or anything like that. It's going to be on those, at best, those three issues. And, uh, and the residency one may be take it or leave, depending on sort of uh, the feedback that he gets when he makes the call. And for those people who might not be following along, the you mentioned that Kansas City has no Senate representation. That's because Jason Holzman and Kiki Curls, state senators, both took political appointments uh, early this year, or it was late last year, early this year. And um, so that means those those seats are sitting open right now. Yeah. Right, yeah. There'll be primaries in August, obviously, but those people won't be seated until January. How about local control? Local control, I can't imagine a world in which that is included in any special. I think, like, for better or for worse, the, you know, Kansas City being able to, if there is a vote this fall and the people support it, that's going to be the best ammo. I still don't know how you get it through a legislature. St. Louis struggled with that for years, eventually just went around it with Rex Singfield bankrolling their local control. But I think if this delegation can show up in Jeff City and say, look, you know, this huge majority of people voted in favor of it. It's a big priority, you know, local control, get out of our way, give us this. Um, but before that happens, I don't see there being a lot of appetite for it in Jefferson City. But um, it, there's a risk, Jason, isn't there, in a special session on crime? I mean, a risk for the governor politically, if it if they don't get anything done, then doesn't he get some blame if violent crime continues to be a problem in Kansas City and St. Louis. I mean, it could collapse. There could be no agreement on anything and everyone goes home or maybe, you know, a fig leaf or some, you know, some symbolic gesture. But it does seem like because the original idea for the special was the budget, right? That the COVID was going to wreck the budget and they needed to take another look at that. Well, they can't really do much with the budget. I mean, they have done the, uh, you know, they did a, uh, they, they put the budget together. There's not like another influx of federal cash that's coming in. So they wouldn't really have much to do as far as reallocating a lot of it. I mean, if you think about why would the governor want to call them back, he can withhold, he can kind of move funds around, you know, within the constitutional parameters. You bring the legislature back in and it sort of ties your hands if they start allocating money. There was some talk of wanting to do COVID liability, meaning like protecting hospitals, nursing homes. Some have said even schools that are going to reopen this fall from being uh, liable if people come in and get sick and there's not, you know, you know, it's not a it's not a 
sickness caused by, you know, malfeasance or, you know, if it was, you, right. know, you wouldn't be able to sue your hospital or your doctor. Uh, that, that's actually a topic that probably will come up in a special, but it won't be this one. It'll be one maybe further down the road, maybe August, maybe concurrent with veto session in September. But to, to your point about the politics of the crime, I mean, they just signed a big crime bill not that long ago that dealt with mandatory minimums, dealt with things like, uh, you know, enhanced penalties for other crimes. Um, this one, like with the witness protection fund, it's a pretty popular idea that just sort of got locked in the last scrum of final week of session legislative back and forth and kind of fell by the wayside. I think in and of itself, that one's pretty popular and could sail through the AG jurisdiction one, you know, that could turn into a fight, but if I think they'll emerge from this with something at least, and he can kind of hang his hat on and say that, you know, this is such a priority. We called them back in. So I don't know if there's a ton of political downside, but, you know, with these special sessions, as we've seen, all it takes for a couple senators to get, you know, something stuck in their craw and they could just derail the whole thing. Well, right. I mean, and if you're right that there will be more than one special session, there may be some risk in that too, because people will start saying, why can't you get anything done during the regular session to keep calling them back and the expense of it uh, may, may become an issue. So we'll see, but, but, but I, I do, and maybe you agree or disagree with this, Jason, I do get the sense that broadly speaking, the people of Missouri realize the violent crime problem here and in St. Louis is untenable. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that, I mean, the Democrats kind of hammered this issue and wanted a special session last summer, um, you know, to so did the editorial it. page, by the way, <laughs> because <laughs> the he problem. called it on some weird used car, uh, you know, a special right. session just to deal with some weird tax policy related to used cars. It was, while crime was a problem in both major metropolitan areas. Problem is a lot of the ideas that the Democrats and probably I presume the wise uh, men of the editorial board came up with are probably non-starters in the Republican legislature, whether that's, you know, any sort of local restrictions on guns or, or, or things like that, or like to your point, local control of the Kansas city police. I think with this call, the governor is going to be shooting for something that he thinks can get accomplished because the last thing you want is for, as Jay Nixie used to say, reconvene them for a debate society. You want to come in, be able to move as quickly as possible and then get out of there. And that's especially like important now because as we've seen in other states, they're going to be calling these guys back for a session. And all it takes is for one of them to come down with COVID and the whole thing could derail too. And I think that's actually a, probably a bigger risk in a lot of ways is that it could, if an outbreak happens they and they can, they sort of have to abandon the session. I feel like they maybe dodged a bullet a couple times. The last times they, they convened, if they're going to try to go at it again, I can imagine you're going to hear a lot, especially from Democrats saying, why are we doing this when we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're not focusing on the pandemic? Right. Right. And, 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 you know, not one or two. And by the way, if you call a special for September, presumably at least some of those members will be lame duck. So, uh, you know, after the primary, so it's, uh, it just seems like it's a convoluted schedule with lots at risk for a governor who is now on the clock, right, Jason? I mean, people are now judging him. He's never been elected governor prior to the November election. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're in the, the home stretch and he's sort of, again, the whole, uh, the chessboard has been knocked over and we are not running the campaign that anybody thought was going to happen. If you look back to what we wrote in December about what's 2020 going to look oh. like, 
none of that makes sense anymore in a post-COVID world. And, you know, we're just sort of starting from scratch and people, you know, after Labor Day are really going to start to hopefully hone in. And, uh, you know, we have a monumental and possibly important presidential election. We have, you know, we don't have a lot of other races in Missouri, though, besides the governor that people really pay attention to. They're really important races, but not a Senate race or competitive congressional races. It's a, a couple lot of the state races. Yeah, let me ask you a final question. We're about out of time. Um, well, how do you feel about Medicaid expansion? Good, bad? Is it going to happen? I mean, good, depending on your view of it, obviously, but uh, does it have a chance in August? And then Clean Missouri, obviously, in November. Those will get people to, to notice, right or not right? Well, I looked down in Oklahoma where there was a robust campaign on both sides in Medicaid expansion one. There hasn't been a no campaign yet, and yep. Medicaid expansion just got, as a, our colleague Matt Kelly just wrote, a huge check, dark money check, but a huge check to fund the last few weeks of the campaign that the no side hasn't really spent or made any money. They, there I is no a website, Yeah, I saw a website pop up the other day, no on too, but it didn't seem very involved. Right. So, I mean, if there's not a robust no campaign, I would say Medicaid expansion is probably the odds on favorite to win next month. Um, and then moving ahead to claim Missouri, I think you run into the exact same problem, but just in reverse. Historically in Missouri, people want to vote no. And if you put something up and when this is put up on the ballot, it's going to be a no campaign from the people trying to defend claim Missouri. They are going to have plenty of money and plenty of ground troops. I haven't seen a campaign put together in support of it yet. But even if it is, you're just you're better off being on the no side because if people who are low information voters go into the ballot box, they look at it and they say, I don't understand this. I'm going to vote no. That's the safer yeah. bet. Yeah. And so I think it's – I don't see a lot of hope even amongst those that are huge proponents of the the new clean Missouri. And just to remind people, clean Missouri won by two-thirds, you, you know, when it was right. approved. So it, it, was not a, it was not a squeaker. But but I guess as a concluding comment, Jason, and get your reaction, then we'll call it a day. It, 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 we started out talking about Mike Parson running for governor in this environment, and you're talking about – you know, a fall campaign in which Medicaid expansion may be a reality. Clean Missouri is an issue. The COVID emergency will continue one way or another. A couple of special sessions. You know, if Missouri is not playing football in the fall, that may figure into just the general voter uh, approach to the elections. I mean, it's hard to imagine a time in which there were more moving parts going into an election that we all thought was going to be pretty cut and dried six months ago. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. Like, we have no idea what it's going to look like in November, both on the pandemic, the economy, just everything. What if there's no school and every parent in the state is pulling their hair out because they've been stuck at home with their kids trying to work? You just don't know. And I think those are the things that are keeping both campaigns up at night uh, as they head into the fall. Yeah. All right. Jason Hancock. Uh, in Columbia today, I guess. Is that where you're at? Yeah, Columbia, Missouri. Thanks Thanks so much, the Star's political reporter, Jason. Thank you so much for those uh, important insights. We'll have you back on, obviously, as we get a little closer uh, to the primary and then after after that's over. And Derek Donovan, as always, with the Star's editorial board, thanks for your contributions today. Good conversation. I'm Dave Helling with the Star's editorial board. You've been on Deep Background. (laughs) 